Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. You do need to look beyond the share price if you are an investor because you don't know the full extent of your rights as a shareholder. And if you don't, then you're investing with less than full knowledge. And you want to be investing with full knowledge of the power that you have to be the best advocate for yourself. You should know what your possible course of action is should something happen with the company that you put money into. We'll walk today through some of these possible corporate scenarios. And it's also very useful, you know, to understand what to look out for with an annual report in order to ask the right questions at dialogue sessions, for example. So today we look at what you need to know about your rights if you invest here in Singapore. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Today I speak with legal expert and partner for Kennedy's Legal Solutions, Robson Lee. Good morning, Robson. Good morning, Michelle. Besides being a lawyer, you're also the Assistant Secretary of the Securities Investors Association, Singapore, CS. You're also the Head of Legal Affairs of CS and you're a member, I understand, of MAS's Appeals Advisory Panels. Robson, share with us whether you think more can be done to increase understanding of investor rights here in Singapore. Well, I can't overemphasize the need for continuous education shareholders have that responsibility to ensure that they make informed decisions when they decide to put money in a particular counter. So it's not just reading annual reports. I think you've got to diligently read all announcements that the company makes periodically and and even on a daily basis. And also whenever there are courses uh, conducted by SIAS or Singapore Institute of Directors, please attend so that you know uh, the current laws, the current regulatory regime, uh, and even some of the examples that they have highlighted, uh, which are educational to any investor. We're all about education here on Money and Me. Robson, can you start us off by talking through some of the corporate actions that can materially affect the rights and the interests of minority shareholders? So let's talk about the powers and the rights of minority shareholders. And what are some of these corporate actions that can affect that? Well, I think in recent times, uh, the Singapore market has witnessed a number of the listings and exit offers. Uh, and, and a number of these offerors, uh, when they make the offers, they tend to pitch at low-ball offers. I, I think this is a situation where investors need to be very conscious about what they should do. And they have to read uh, the offer announcements, the report by independent financial advisors, commentaries from journalists, uh, comments from SIAs, and all the learned people that may uh, speak about a particular offer and also read and, and analyze uh, whether the offer is it fair and reasonable, does the price make sense? Well, of course, uh, in most cases, uh, you may not get an offer price that is commensurate with the price that you entered the market to buy the particular counter. But looking at all the factors, global environment, uh, and what are the prospects of the company? Is the offer price something that you can accept? I think here you've got to be very careful when you read the Independent Financial Advisors report or the IFA report mm. uh, so that you can make a learned decision. Now, the other corporate action that could materially affect shareholders would be interested person transactions, meaning to say transactions between the listed company and directors or controlling shareholders 
where they intend they intend to sell or transact uh, a piece of asset or, or enter into a joint venture transaction with someone who is actually controlling the same company that you are investing in. Then you got to read very carefully what the terms of the proposed acquisition or the proposed disposal you know constitute, and also uh, because under the listing rules, uh, under such transactions depending on the threshold value of the transaction, you, the company needs to appoint an independent financial advisor as well uh, to advise minority shareholders whether the terms are reasonable, are they fair, are they uh, non-prejudicial to the interests of minority shareholders. So, you know, it's about reading and making an informed decision. Uh, these are two uh, examples that I will highlight, corporate actions which will materially affect minority shareholders. So what are some of the key considerations that shareholders should keep in mind when they are trying to assess corporate action? Well, I think some of the things that you've got to um, you know, take into consideration are the rationale for the transaction or the rationale for the exit offer, the delisting proposal. Uh, is it because the counter is uh, trading at very low liquidity? You know, the market is undervaluing the company, but... Again, read about what the offeror intends to do in, in a takeover or delisting uh, situation. What does the company intend to do? Uh, does the company have uh, a lot of assets, a lot of undistributed retained earnings, retained profits, uh, which the offeror, once they have bought out the minority, they are going to take everything. So, of course, this is where you can exercise your right uh, not to accept or to reject the offer. Uh, and and you you have that power basically uh, to uh, stop a delisting uh, or an exit offer where the price just does not make sense. Now, in an interested person transaction, in under the listing rules, the majority controlling shareholders cannot vote on the resolution, which requires EGM or extraordinary general meeting approval. That, that's in a situation where minority shareholders have a very strong say, because if they reject the transaction, they don't approve the transaction, the transaction doesn't go through. But of course, you've got to be behaving rationally and not just simply blocking it for the sake of blocking it. At the end of the day, you must ask yourself, does the transaction make sense? Is it in the best interest of the company and therefore in the best interest of all shareholders, including retail investors? Just want to probe a little bit more for the benefit of our listeners. I mean, what can minority shareholders do here in Singapore if the offer price of the company is less than its net asset value per share? What are uh, some of the possible scenarios that can play out? You mentioned reject the offer or vote against the proposal, I suppose. Yes, I think these are the kind of situations. Unfortunately, uh, in, in Singapore, uh, a number of uh, uh, counters, uh, the public float invariably comprises uh, individual retail investors. Uh, you do not have uh, large institutional investors holding large blocks, uh, sufficiently large to block a particular exit offer or a particular transaction uh, that re- requires a company to be uh, you know, uh, delisted and, and, and basically privatized. So, but again, never stop exercising your right to say no uh, or writing uh, to the press, to the media, uh, rallying investors, rallying fellow retail investors to come together and make a, a voice to be heard, uh, perhaps to Sias, to 
uh, other forums, uh, and even writing to the Singapore Exchange uh, to say, look, uh, you know, we don't think the offer makes makes sense. Uh, can the regulator look into uh, you know uh, the IFA report and ensuring that the IFA uh, makes a very learned, detached, independent, objective, professional view, uh, take a professional view and report accordingly, so that independent directors can also strongly weigh in and and let that message be carried through to the controlling shareholders who could also be executive directors on the board. I think it's a question of getting your act together collectively. Uh, And that's something that I hope can take place uh, in the industry because uh, individual retail investors tend to be very scattered and fragmented. Uh, I like other markets where investors, they group together and basically make their voice heard loud and clear. So uh, I cannot overemphasize the right for minority shareholders uh, to take up cudgels if necessary to let the voice be heard. Uh, well, the, the benefit of all this uh, in, in, in recent times is that the Singapore regulator has amended the Companies Act such that it's no longer so easy for offerors to make compulsory acquisition or they call it to squeeze out minority shelters because the rules have changed. Uh, the threshold is now higher. Uh, that is one, one avenue uh, that uh, has gone, uh, has, the voice has not been unheard. Regulators have responded. And, and in uh, way back, I think in 2019, I believe, mm. Singapore has exchanged has also uh, made an amendment to the listing rule or the delisting rule that you can only make an exit offer and privatize if the offer is fair and reasonable. And the IFA, the Independent Financial Advisor, so opines. They have also in recent times amended the rules for IFA to adhere the standards expected of IFA the kind of independence required of IFA and the kind of analysis that they have to make when they issue the report to minority shareholders. So all these voices have actually uh, you know, made a, an impact on regulators. But again, there should be no let up. Retail investors should continuously be alert, be sensitive to what is fair, what is reasonable. Just to that point on collective action of minority shareholders, that requires open channels of communication. Uh, what can a shareholder do if uh, they're, they're facing the failure of companies to even hold an AGM or a refusal by the incumbent board to convene EGMs? Well, that I think is a current uh, big problem uh, in recent times. Uh, under the Companies Act, uh, shareholders who collectively hold more than uh, 10%, 10% or more, uh, you can make a requisition for EGMs to be convened. However, under the Companies Act, um, the board can basically, uh, you know, thumb their nose uh, and refuse to convene the EGM. The Companies Act actually has a provision that in such a situation, uh, the shareholders, the requisitioning shareholders can, of course, on their own convene the EGM. But that could be a big, big difficulty because the board could be very uncooperative. Uh, they, could, they may not want to give you the entire shareholders list so that you can't send out the circular, uh, the notice of the EGM. Uh, and then you've got to take the company to court. Uh, and that is a daunting task because the costs can be rather prohibitive. You, you have seen this in recent times. Uh, two particular examples, USP, 
uh, uh, AST, IST holdings, uh, they have encountered huge problems because the board believes that uh, the EGM that has been requisitioned is invalid, it's illegal, it's not in compliance with the law. So, you know, it, 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 it gets you into a legal fight. And that's where minority shareholders may run out of steam, may run out of resources to take on uh, the uh, existing board because the existing board will on the advice of legal uh, experts or, or lawyers to say that, well, you have not complied with this, you have not done this. For example, I think something that may not be apparent to many uh, retail investors is that in order to convene an EGM or requisite an EGM, mm-hmm. you have to be a member as opposed to just a shareholder. People say, what is the difference? Right. But being, being a member requires you uh, to either have your shares registered directly with CDP or you hold on to script shares. Then you fall within the definition of a member. That was discovered or, or uh, ruled by the judge in a USB case uh, in recent times where uh, the members who tried to convene or requisite uh, an EGM, they hit a brick wall because uh, the board took legal advice and say, well, you are not members. Your, your shares are held with stockbroking accounts, for example, which many people do that. Uh, and therefore, theoretically, under the definition of the relevant uh, statute, the Companies Act and the Securities and Futures Act, you are not a member. So to be a member to requisite an EGM, you've got to be a direct shareholder registered in the register of members, i.e. you hold on to script shares, which to many people it doesn't make sense because right. if I hold on to script shares, I can't trade. Uh, says, well, the alternative is you are holding your shares directly with CDP and then you've got to transfer your shares from the stockbroking account to CDP. Then you fall within the definition of a member. Now, this is a situation which I think cannot be fixed by anybody except perhaps by parliament. Uh, I would opine that parliament should take cognizance of the recent ruling by the High Court judge in USB case and amend the, the provision in the Companies Act so that you don't have a theoretical problem, or I call it a lacuna in the law, which, um, you know, the board, of course, is fully entitled if they believe uh, that the requisitioning members, uh, you know, don't have a valid case or don't have a cogent uh, explanation to change the board, for example. So these are some issues which i like to share today with your uh, listeners, with, uh, you know, uh, the men in the street, uh, and, and inject more awareness so that perhaps they can write in and persuade members of parliament to take it up in parliament uh, to uh, you know, propose that amendments be made so that you rectify the problem. Are there any best practices that shareholders listening in uh, can fall back on uh, that you can raise or highlight should they be faced with issues that do affect their rights and interests as minority shareholders? Any best practices, Robson? Uh, well, the best practice, as I've said, is to be uh, continuously informed uh, of what's happening uh, in the counters that you have invested, to write in where necessary to stock exchange or the Singapore exchange, to SIAS. Uh, SIAS is a, you know, a const- uh, an institution that takes up charges on behalf of minority shareholders and persuades SIAS to, to uh, you know, inquire uh, to investigate and even to hold the company to accountability. 
you know, create a kind of public pressure and stress that, look, you have not done certain things which we believe are important or you have omitted to do certain things which we believe uh, is a tardy omission. Please rectify it. Please correct it. And perhaps there is a need and, and a cultural change mm. that minority shareholders in the internet age, mm-hmm. you can form groups of investors, you know, through Facebook, through uh, Instagram, get your act together, perhaps, and even appoint a lawyer uh, to take up enforcement action and say, look, we need to protect our rights. And if we need to do it via court proceedings, so be it. But if it's one man against the board, it could be uh, David and Goliath. Yes. And feel like a man against a machine. Uh, against a machine, right? an institution. that yes. has all the corporate uh, you know, uh, 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 resources to, to take you to court and, and perhaps to uh, drain you out of your energy, right? But if you band together, all investors, and let's say 1,000 shareholders decide to uh, Instagram, to Facebook, and say, well, let us take you on. Like we have seen in certain country clubs uh, uh, in recent times, uh, Laguna, Pine Tree Club. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, in internet age, uh, it's very easy to basically form a chat group mm. and, and uh, connect with each other, perhaps ask you to try and rally. Everybody says, well, if someone wants to join, come here. And then we form uh, not, not to take on an adversarial kind of uh, uh, approach. Mm. But if that has to be done to send the message, then that has to be done. Of course, Sia's position has always been uh, settle the issue in a boardroom and not a courtroom. Mm. Perhaps to shareholder dialogue with the management. Let's try but again, at some point in time, perhaps you've got to say that we have reached the limit of trying to be reconciliatory. Uh, and perhaps uh, legal proceedings may be necessary uh, to resolve the issue. And so be it. Because if you flinch and cringe, uh, the board may, that comprises majority shareholders may write roughshod over your interests. Let's end on a high note, a positive note. Are there any recent case studies or examples that have shown that things can be resolved in the boardroom and not the courtroom? Uh, <laughs> well, I think, um, I mean, there, there have been attempts, but I think, um, you know, for whatever reason, I, I can't think of something that has been resolved peacefully uh, in a situation where minority shareholders feel that majority shareholders who control the board uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, I've are, heard them. Are, are yeah. playing, are not playing fair. You know, are not playing by the rules. Uh, the mm-hmm. regulator and CR's uh, position, as I understand, has always been: when there are legal issues to be resolved, they cannot take a position because they are neutral. They have to be objective, and so it has to be resolved in a court of law. But I think CR has always been around to try and help minority shareholders canvas for their rights and to try to protect shareholders. I think in some of the delisting offers that we have seen uh, through uh, pressure or through subtle uh, suasion, moral suasion on the part of SIAS, mm-hmm. offerors have indeed increased their offer price. It will be below the expectations of a uh, number of shareholders, but at least you see some increases. So I guess that has to be uh, a continuous process. Shareholders have to uh, do their part to be well informed, to be more active, and and regulators perhaps uh, could have a bit more sympathetic year, uh, sympathetic year, have more empathy that perhaps shareholders may need certain 
uh, you know, uh, enforcement uh, actions in order to make sure uh, that companies comply with the rules of the game. And I think ECRA, for its credit, have taken certain companies to court uh, for not convening AGMs. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very fundamental right of yeah. minority shareholders. But you have seen companies basically just dragging their feet, coming out with all kinds of explanations uh, and say that, well, you know, we have this, we have that problem, we can't convene uh, for whatever reason. So I guess uh, shareholders, uh, obviously, of course, if the company is still trading, you have the option of cutting loss and selling your shares and moving on. But sometimes, and I'll say most of the time, some of these counters are invariably suspended because, you know, the yeah. company is not performing mm-hmm. and, and therefore it's suspended or, 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 you know, it's no longer trading. And that's where you are stuck. And that's the pro- that's a situation where hopefully through reconciliation, through the boardroom discussions and dialogue, you can resolve. But if need be, you've got to take them to court. Many minority shareholders feel quite vulnerable because they are shareholders with that non-controlling ownership of a company. They feel they do not have a definitive say in the conduct of the company's affairs. But hopefully they've heard something this morning uh, that sheds light on the fact that they, they don't have to be susceptible to oppression or abuse and they can always lean on CS for moral suasion. Robson, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure talking to you. Robson Lee is partner for Kennedy's Legal Solution. He is also the Assistant Secretary of the Securities Investors Association of Singapore, or CS, and Head of Legal Affairs of CS. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.